This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and it is. Are you the still most... in the same outfit? What the Can hell? Can I get through wearing? the intro without you no, stepping on me? Already? I don't think you've taken a shower in a week. I have showered. I just happened to put the same pajamas on, and I've added this lovely, luxurious bathrobe on top. I am still the most comfortable Corey Graves that has ever existed. It is the most wonderful time of the year. The leaves are starting to change. The weather is brisk. There is pumpkin spice everything. I am basic and proud of it. And I am excited for what we're doing today. Something a little different. And as always, to help me navigate the madness, the heifer to my Rocco, the voice of NXT 2.0, Vic Joseph. Now, Vic, now you may speak. You got me all riled up. You're going to wrinkle my satin. Well, Rocco's Modern Life is a great cartoon, but you, what have you done with the real Corey Graves? Satin, bathrobes, pumpkin spice in the air, candles. I've thought long and hard about this, and I feel society has given the basic a real hard time very unjustly. Let me tell you this, Vic. If I were to approach you at any point in life and say, hey, I've got a situation where you can sit around wearing incredibly comfortable clothes that are somewhat deemed fashionable, and you can enjoy delicious seasonal beverages, perhaps some wine with your friends. And all you need to do when you're together is take pictures of yourself doing those same activities, being comfortable and enjoying delicious beverages. That sounds like a great way to live, Vic. Hashtag live, laugh, love. I'm basic AF. I can't disagree. Because I do enjoy a good pumpkin spice latte and a pecan Thank waffle. Thank you. Now that that's candle, out of the way, now, now listen, you you look at me, you think, oh, Corey Graves, he's edgy, he's counterculture. No, 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 no. I've turned over a new leaf. I have fully accepted those things that we have all, as a society, made fun of and vilified for the past several months or several years, actually. I look forward to fall. I want little pumpkin tchotchkes all over my home. I want a big sign that says gather in my kitchen. Vic, that's where I'm at in life right now, and I regret nothing. Well, this is not the Corey Graves that I'm used to, so I'm wondering, did the Taskmaster grab you, take you to the Dungeon of Doom, which obviously is still your basement that hasn't been finalized? Are you in the Dungeon of Doom right now, Corey? I'm in the ATB bunker, which could double as a Dungeon of Doom. There is a fountain nearby around the corner, and guess what, Vic? It's not hot, okay? So, yeah, 
Maybe I am in the Dungeon of Doom for our intents and purposes today, all right? <laughs> I got you on that one. You can laugh. You did, because all of a sudden I thought Corey Graves in this new pumpkin spice that he has this fountain that's going to be a fondue fountain, and you have all these different cheeses spouting off it. We're like, you're a whole new person. I am. It's a new me. It's a new new era here for CG on ATB. And it's fall, Vic. Above all, it is fall. It is autumn, so we will celebrate with Fall Brawl, 1995 war games team hogan versus the aforementioned dungeon of doom there's a lot to get to here oh there is a lot to get to and we have to talk about our special guests that have joined us that will come through to make sure we're staying on the path of facts i would say that being dan and alex i was waiting for you to introduce them but i was, uh, that was very lackluster vic okay so right, let's well, please you welcome you've heard them in the past our producers alex and dan to keep us honest make sure our facts are actually just that facts and uh help enjoy this little nostalgic trip down wcw memory lane hopefully if you're listening to this you did your homework from last week and you pulled up fall brawl 95 on the wwe network on peacock if you didn't don't worry about it you can still enjoy this we're going to give you all the pertinent facts and if it sounds interesting after this you can still log in check it out and relive the magic that was fall brawl 1995 you queued it up Vic we started with an amazing video package it seems a little outdated compared to WWE production standards but a nice video package that sort of set the table told the tales of the matches before we even got into the action for the night and speaking of that opening uh, package and tongue-in-cheek references you talk about the team which originally was supposed to have Vader on it but Vader has gone AWOL. I mean, there was so many little references in this 90 seconds, would you say, opening package of the show that in 95, I didn't get it. In 2021, I'm like, holy hell, that was awesome because I didn't get it at the time. But that set the table for me watching this back. Well, plenty of military references, but the Vader going AWOL was actually an allusion to something that happened in real life. Vader was gone. Vader was out of WCW unceremoniously made his exit following an infamous backstage altercation with one Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, whom we'll get to discuss a little bit later on in the show because Mr. Wonderful was part of Fall Brawl 95. But we open things up with one of my favorites, Flying Brian Pillman versus Johnny B. Bad. It was really, really cool to start the night off because to me, WCW was, uh, Johnny B. Bad to me was, an embodiment of WCW in my time as a fan. I know he had a run in WWE as Mark Marrow, Wild Man, et cetera, et cetera. But Johnny B. Bad to me is one character that I will always identify with as true WCW. And I don't necessarily even mean that in the best light possible. Just WCW Saturday night, the sound stage, the, the spinning ring. Johnny B. Bad to me just feels so quintessentially WCW. And I, I don't want to say the word hokey. I don't, I don't know if that works for it, but I agree with you. That was like the guy in WCW. I was like, oh, Johnny B. Bad. I don't think I Johnny B. Bad was hokey. Johnny B. Bad was Little Richard, and he could go. I was laughing and he was when a I boxer. saw him. I, I, I didn't laugh. I, 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 when he was a, a villain, I despised Johnny B. Bad. When Johnny B. Bad was a good guy, I dug Johnny B. Bad. But I always identify him as WCW. And in this matchup, I started watching. There was actually a lot on the line to open up the night. I believe the winner of this, and I have my notes in front of me, would go on with a championship opportunity. I think against Sting, Dan, can you correct me if I'm wrong there, was a championship on the line because this was some sort of tournament that had a 30-minute time limit? 
I am not Dan, but I can answer that. Uh, the you, winner, Alex. yes, would get a shot at Sting and his WCW United States Championship in the future. I like that. And that right then and there has Eric Bischoff's fingerprints all over it. Bischoff always talks on his podcast, 83 Weeks, uh, about how he feels every match needs to have stakes. And even to this day, by these standards, it's a little different. You don't often find qualifying matches for secondary championships on WWE programming very frequently. That's not to say it never happens, but more often than not, it's X versus Y winner gets a universal title match or WWE championship match or potentially a tag team title match. But as far as the Intercontinental, even as far as the United States title, which still exists today, you don't often see something on a pay-per-view that is a qualifier for that match. The championship match itself is usually reserved for a pay-per-view, but it put high stakes on a matchup that was otherwise just another match between two high-level talents. And the other thing that was interesting that we don't see at all anymore, time limits. You, you know, they make it very known. And by the way, Michael Buffer's ring announcement really just hyped me up because he usually at the time, I always remembered him being main event only. He was there at the start of the night for Fall Brawl and just putting over the talent huge with his announcements. But the time limit to me was something that made me remember WCW of like, oh yeah, they only have 30 minutes. Vic, to piggyback off your observation, I made a similar observation in that the pacing of everything in this show feels so drastically different from modern-day WWE or really any modern-day sports entertainment programming. Everything now is fast-paced, one onto the next, boom, boom, boom. People's attention spans are very different. This felt more paced, similar to like a, an MMA card that I would watch nowadays, where there were the short video packages, there were the long introductions, but I was a fan of this in that it made everything feel important. To your point, Michael Buffer, one of the most infamous, maybe the most famous ring announcer of all time, having him be part of every match, some people I say, oh, maybe it's too much, we don't need Michael Buffer, it's not quite as special. It felt big. Here's Johnny B. Bad and Brian Pillman for the opportunity to challenge for a title in the opening match. But with Michael Buffer, it felt big. They, they brought up something later on commentary in terms of stakes that I think is kind of a product of a bygone era, where Shivani says, the winner makes a lot more than the loser on these big pay-per-view events. And like that idea of like the winner making more money, you know, like you never, ever hear about that anymore. I, I drop that from time to time whenever needed, because that's like a holdover from my childhood. Because theoretically, in a competition, any combat sport, why do you fight? So you win. And why do you want to win? Because you make more than the loser. And somehow over the years, that's sort of been forgotten, which once in a blue moon, anytime there's a match that doesn't really have a backstory, it's just kind of a match for the sake of entertainment or two guys who don't really have stories. I love dropping in the money reference. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, make it to the pay window. That's why, because, hey, now there's your story for the matchup. It doesn't have to have a long, you know, epic backstory and, and all these twists and turns and layers and depth. Sometimes it's just two dudes fighting because the winner gets more money. And I love that. Well, look, everybody can relate to wanting more money. And how do you get more money in a fight? You have to win. That gives a, that gives a circumstance to every single match. And I thought the commentators, which were Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone in this match, it was weird because it seemed like they didn't want to talk about the match, which was a 30-minute clinic, and they were promoting this, promoting that, talking about this, and, long, stretched-out things And Heenan was on fire. Bobby Heenan, from the opening on camera, was just 
classic Bobby Heenan at the highest level. I know for a fact these days, if I were to do commentary in that vein where it was just completely irreverent and literally making fun of everything, my ass would be fired. In a heart- <laughs> I could never get away with it. But Heenan, Heenan did it some- so masterfully. He said something in this match that killed me. It was going long, and he says, well, they could be here on Nitro tomorrow. I got to shave sometime. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just kept going and going and going, and it was 30 minutes, and I was like, that was funny to me. And it was like, for this show, for me, embodying the entire thing, it wasn't, this is going to be bad to say, it wasn't the action. It was everything else surrounding the little videos, the commentary. There's a cameraman standing on the ring. It, it was all these little things that stood it's, out. It's a, fun, it's a fun little time capsule, and that's one of the coolest things about going back on the WWE Network and just queuing up a random pay-per-view. I mean, truth be told, we decided on Fall Brawl 95 because we said, hey, it's fall. That's got fall in the name. Let's watch that because it seems fun. It's around the same time frame in the year, and, and that was basically all the thought we put into it. But, man, what a fun way to, to spend a couple of hours. It, it is like a a time capsule and just thinking how drastically things have changed. My other favorite part of this is uh, during, and this happens multiple times during the night during this match where they were, you know, like you said, Tony and, and the brain were trying to do anything, but talk about what was going on in the ring is when they start plugging the WCW wrestling hotline being live during the pay-per-view. And if you call in and click option two, you can actually talk to the competitors backstage after their matches with, with Mike Tanay. Can I make a truly <laughs> embarrassing confession? Oh, please. Oh, man. I can't say that it was during the time period that was Fall Brawl 1995, but a young Corey Graves many, many moons ago sure did beg my parents till I was blue in the face. Mom, Dad, I need to dial 1-900-909-9900. Because I need to speak to Sting. <laughs> and my parents knew. They knew that I wasn't actually going to speak to Sting, but I didn't. I was convinced that I was going to talk to the man called Sting just by picking up my phone and dialing the number. What a rude awakening that was. Because Sting says, hey, it's the Stinger. And I go, hey, Sting. And he just talks right through me. And he's talking about how he can't wait to get in the ring with Ric Flair. And I'm going, yeah, well, what are you going to Are you going to hit him with the Scorpion? Sting, Sting, I'm talking to you. Blew my young mind and ruined everything for me. I did it one time. I was so, so upset and disheartened. And I'm sure it probably still cost my parents about 60 bucks for me to stand there in my foyer on the phone. Remember those landline phones with the curly <laughs> cords that don't exist anymore? Yeah. And ha- listen to a, a five-minute recording of Sting talking about his upcoming match, which was basically probably something that they just put a microphone to him during his his you know local interviews for when we come to Raleigh, I'm gonna you know it was just that they just played that it was crazy. He just sat in TVL and he said, "Here's the script, read it." Next one. Listen, this is gonna sound petty. This is gonna sound shallow, but I'm not above that. I've never been quite the same level of a Sting fan after that experience. Never to this day. To this day, I have a healthy respect for Sting and what he's capable of. But that day, I went. Uh, you know what? I don't know if that's my guy anymore. Well, Johnny B. Bad would win this opening matchup to go on to face Sting at some point, which I don't know when the hell that matchup was. He didn't actually face Sting. He faced the recording of Sting. Oh, that could have <laughs> been it. But how about the finish of this matchup, dude? A double crossbody. Hey, I mean, Pillman 30 was- minutes and all of a sudden it was boop, one, two, three. It, it kind of caught me off guard, I guess, which maybe was the point. 
Well, don't forget, guys, this match actually, uh, the time limit expired. And then Michael Buffer came back on the, uh, the microphone to say this, we're going to sudden death. There must be a winner. So there was actually a stoppage and then the match restarted and then they went for another six minutes. <laughs> what year was the Iron Man match? Oh, uh, between March 31st, 2012. Far be it for yep. me to float a conspiracy into the world. But I mean, did Pillman and Johnny B. Bad do it first? Oh, that sounds like go. it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I can't even have fun with that. That's blasphemy. I'm I'm making fun of one of the greatest matches of all time. So, uh, it's weird when Jose Lothario came out at the end. Yeah. <laughs> what was he doing there? It wasn't Jose Lothario. It was a recording of Jose Lothario. Uh, up next on the card, keeping the action rolling, two guys who uh, don't necessarily have the strongest legacy in sports entertainment. Sergeant Craig, the pit bull pitman of whom I actually believe I still own an action figure because WCW did make a Craig Pitbull Pittman action figure. His opponent, the one and only Cobra. <sighs> Who's Cobra, you ask, Vic? Who's Cobra, Graves? Cobra would go on to become the infamous imposter NWO Sting. Did he and answer your of- phone call? He probably would have. <laughs> he probably would have. I would I would rather plop down $15 right now and hear a recording of the NWO sting. Well, this was about a $15 match, if you ask me. It, it wasn't a great match. We got to see uh, the artist formerly known as Prince Iokea. Oh. He's the cadet. Yeah. He's the cadet. And then we also got to see Craig Pitbull Pittman uh, rappel down from the, ceiling, from the on ceiling the, yeah. <laughs> on the side of the yeah. cage I for mean, some reason. Pittman had more of a match with the repelling gear than he actually had with Cobra trying to get <laughs> out of true. it. But think about this. This is something I think was truly unique to WCW, at least to the best of my recollection. WCW, on multiple occasions, would introduce characters with full-blown backstories. Almost like Mortal Kombat, like the video game. If you read the liner notes in a video game, you could read, oh, this is who Raiden is, and this is why Raiden is in the tournament, or he's in charge of the tournament, and this is why Liu Kang is this guy. And and I know, uh, I'm going to draw the example in a, in a minute, you know where I'm going with this, but Pitbull Pitman and Cobra had a backstory. WCW fans didn't know who these guys were, but they portrayed them as having a history. There was some sort of incident in the past, in both of their military past, that has carried over to WCW. And it wasn't necessarily fleshed out, and it didn't hit the heights potentially it could have. But think about the other time they did this with Mortis and Glacier and Wrath and the whole Blood Runs Cold gimmick was these three competitors who competed in WCW weren't there because WCW signed them to a contract. They had an issue, and the only place they could settle it was inside a WCW ring. Their past followed them. And I think it's a really unique storytelling mechanism that we probably don't see enough of. I don't know that it was done as well as it should have been or could have been in WCW, but that's kind of a unique way to look at things rather than just, hey, here's this guy you know from NXT. Now he's on Monday Night Raw. Somebody's showing up and going, this is why this dude is the way he is. This guy is wired, and he hates this guy because of this issue that they've had for decades or years or whatever. It's really unique and interesting, and I feel like if done well enough, you could totally use that same mechanism nowadays to great effect. It certainly has been done in the WWE realm. I can't think off the top of my head in the I last mean, a lot of guys have backstories. A lot of guys years, have. But yeah, I understand where you're coming from. It is a unique perspective now looking back at 1995 because you don't really see that to your point, Graves. 
a lot now. You, you see NXT to Raw, NXT to SmackDown, or we're going to put this together, but you don't see that backstory. I can't think of anything off the top of my head in the last five, even 10 years in the WWE of that sort of storytelling. Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm sure there there are exceptions, but it just it seems as though everything exists in the WWE universe, much like the Marvel universe. What WCW did here was kind of acknowledge another universe and kind of bring them into the fold. And I just think it's really interesting. You don't see a lot of that. Yeah, besides that, the match sucked. I mean, yeah, let's be perfectly fair. That let's was that was kind fair. of the end of it. Uh, Pitbull Pittman picks up the win with the code red armbar <sighs> submission. Man, what a maneuver. You're on fire today, Vic. <laughs> I, there's nothing to talk about. It was 90 seconds. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Taste them in my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. After Pitbull Pittman picks up the big W with the code red submission, we take a very unique, interesting journey with Mr. Wonderful, the aforementioned Paul Orndorff. But Mr. Wonderful is not alone. He is with someone who nowadays is might as well be a complete stranger to probably most people listening to this because we're going to date ourselves here. The Psychic Friends Network, Vic, was a thing. It was it a was. big thing. Do you ever it call that? It was a huge thing. And this is now, now some people listening to this might be a little more familiar with Madame Cleo, who is the closest comparison I can draw to Gary Spivey, who was the on-screen mentor slash astrologer slash life coach, whatever role you want to put Gary in for Mr. Wonderful, who was down on his luck. And this was a pretty cool example of WCW stepping outside of their comfort zone and, and bringing a little pop culture. It sounds ridiculous because nowadays you ask anybody who's Gary Spivey. Nobody knows who the hell Gary Spivey is, but if you were alive and around and, and mature enough at that age to remember the psychic friends network had commercials on every damn television show that was on television. And this was pre-internet or very, very early days of the internet. And you could, you could reach out you could call a hotline and listen to an actual person rather than a recording of Sting. And they would still take all of your money, but they would tell you what you wanted to hear. And Gary Spivey was one of the more prolific psychic friends. And he was helping out Mr. Wonderful. And this, for some reason, this still gets played a lot nowadays because of how bizarre it was. Uh, it looked like a bad 1980s commercial. That, that's what I took out of it. I was just watching it going, what the hell is this in the middle of a show? But to your point... Yeah, it was that crossover a, a little bit. Very odd, though, to me. Very odd what and awkward. What if, what if Gary Spivey warned Mr. Wonderful in advance that Vader was going to come for him backstage, which allowed Orndorff to get the upper hand, thus banishing Vader, making Vader go AWOL from War Games and WCW as a whole? What if Gary Spivey was the true hero of this story? What if Gary Spivey could have calmed the waters, so to speak, and Vader never did go AWOL, and then Lex Luger was never in the main event? What about that? Wow. fantasy booking, why don't we give Dan Spivey a Gary Spivey gimmick? Just give him that Q-tip <laughs> headdress thing. 
Yeah, can we talk? I think we're burying the lead here. What yeah. it, what was on Gary's head that all the time? It looked like it was supposed to be a Revolutionary War wig mi- mixed with one of those big round helmets that they wore in Spaceballs. It had to be like, paper mache, right? I had to be. I'm looking at more recent photos of him as of like 2016, and it's somehow grown like four times larger. <laughs> I hope that was his real hair. I hope this whole time There's everyone no has just assumed it was not, but it has gotten bigger, and his his brain has has expanded and his hair continues to get bigger because that's where he keeps all of his secrets. But nothing, point. not I, I one of you it. got my mean girls reference. Uh, yeah, that we are not friends. I, I we love are not Alex's doing this anymore. Of, I am upset. I am irate and I'm still wearing my satin pajamas. So, you know, I'm extra. Pissed. Well, don't get too mad. You might rip those satin pajamas. I do love Alex is going, I think we're missing the headline here though, guys. Yeah. What well, the hell I mean, is on this dude's head? Yeah, listen, dude, a psychic does, you know, in order to know all of this future information, that his head would be larger than everybody else's, right? It takes a lot of room to fit all of that in there. Do, do you remember the head on MTV? Not Max, Max Headroom was different, right? Not Max Headroom. Max Headroom right. was the digital guy whose face was in the television. The head, right. the, the, the teenager who had an actual purple alien that lived in his head. It was uh, MTV Oddities. Nothing, nobody, like, it was like on when the Max was on. Remember the Max? detective on In Living Color, Damon Wayne. Oh, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. None of you guys. The 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 head. Yeah, the there was a guy. He was a, he was a normal guy, but he had a giant football shaped head, and there was a purple alien that lived in it, and kind of just made his life hell. I'm looking at it now. Yes, I do remember this. I, is this a Mike Judge production? Because the, the, the animation looks, looks yeah very similar to Beavis and Butthead. Yes. Yeah, it was around. The MTV used to do a block of like adult cartoons, and the Max was one of them, which I like absolutely did. Flux was one. Aeon Flux. Yeah, yeah that whole time that. period. Daria. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. it Liquid yeah. Television? Is that what they called it? I think it was. I think it might have been Liquid Television. I remember that. Yeah. By the way, if you're trying to compare the head to Gary Spivey, that is a massive insult to Gary Spivey because this guy's head is enormous, like <laughs> comically huge. I think we spent a lot of time on Gary Spivey right now. But well, what listen, a pay per view! Uh, listen, Vic, I hate to break it to you, but it's not going to get any better for you. <laughs> it's we're not going, going to get better. Gary That's what Spivey, I love about this show. <laughs> Gary Spivey to our next matchup for the WCW World Television Championship. WWE Hall of Famer DDP, long before DDP was actually the DDP everyone kind of accepted and knew and loved. This was still obnoxious, over-the-top, cigar-chomping, 26 different gimmicks, chains, taped fingers. DDP, way, way too extra. And listen, far be it from me to disparage someone who is no longer with us, but let's be honest. The Renegade has got to go down as one of the biggest disappointments in the history of our business because we all, we, we all unfortunately remember because it's been burned into our psyches as children, much like I've never forgave Sting for the WCW hotline. I, I think I'm still holding a bit of a grudge to Hulk Hogan for leading me to believe that he was bringing my guy, the ultimate warrior to WCW because war warrior was the only one that Hogan could trust. Right. I mean, of course it had to be the warrior, but instead we get the dollar general version, the wish version <laughs> of the ultimate warrior, the renegade. You couldn't have said it any better than name brand, a great value when it came to the renegade. And one of my friends used to love the renegade he was all into the renegade he was about he was running around the house like the renegade and did, i okay, never okay, understood did your friend ever have any exposure to the actual ultimate warrior 
That is a great question. And the answer is no, because That's we used funny. to get into arguments as kids, like we were arguing over snack packs back in the day over Ultimate Warrior Renegade. And it got to the point where he was trying to convince me that the Ultimate Warrior was the Renegade. We were like two kids arguing over snack packs at recess. And I was like, you're an idiot. We used to get in a lot of fights. He loved the Renegade. I never understood what the hell it was. And then watching this match, I mean, all I got to say is max muscle. That's all I could watch this minute was max freaking muscle. What a specimen. <laughs> forgot he existed. I forgot he existed too until I watched Fall Brawl 95. <laughs> it is what it is. It was a lot of gimmick. It was a lot of pomp and circumstance and a lot of sizzle, but no actual stake from DDP at that particular juncture in his career. We all know DDP would go on to have a long, wildly successful sports entertainment career, become a world champion, have a solid run in WWE. He's now in the WWE Hall of Fame. So there's nothing that we can really say to, to bring DDP off of his perch, but uh, they had a match and um, that's kind of really all we need to talk about because what's your quote. Was, you, what's your quote. You like to say of all the matches that I have seen, this was at that point in time, the most recent most recent. <laughs> oh, d don't forget graves. DDP did win the WCW world television title in this match. Yeah, no. It, it really, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. We crowned a new champion. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Does it, does it, <laughs> But does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? I mean, it was what it was. Was that anyone else Page's first championship, by the way? Maybe that's what that, that, that rocket ship to the back. That was the starting point for his Hall of Fame career. Fall Brawl 95. Running. Well, from one Hall of Famer to two others, the next matchup would be WWE Hall of Famers Booker T and Stevie Ray Harlem Heat against Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. I was terrified of Harlem Heat when I was a kid because they were, I remember the first time I saw them, I, it might've been global or the very early days of WCW. They were Kane and Cole, Harlem Heat. They weren't Booker T and Stevie Ray. They were Kane and Cole. I, I don't remember the exact time frame. I'm sure Alex, you're, you're probably working on it right now. Uh, but they were just two big, badass dudes who just scared the hell out of me, but were amazing athletes too. Conversely, in my house, my dad hated Bunkhouse Buck as much as basically any superstar I can remember in the history of the business. If Bunkhouse Buck came on my television, it led to my dad cutting a promo for the duration of Bunkhouse Buck's time on my screen about how I don't, I don't get this guy. This guy doesn't look like he can kick anybody's ass. My dad was convinced he could kick Bunkhouse Buck's ass Therefore, anything Bunkhouse Buck did was just thumbs down in my house. I wonder if he recognized him in 2010 when he showed up on SmackDown as Jack Swagger's dad during a segment. That happened? Yep. There How was a segment in 2010, Swagger was on SmackDown, and they had his dad come out, Mr. Swagger, Jimmy as Goldman. Bunkhouse Buck. Bunkhouse Buck. I that they didn't address that at all. They didn't call him that, but it was him. It's weird, and I, it makes me wonder, because much like Bunkhouse Buck, my dad also detested Dirty Dick Slater. But I think my dad's biggest issue was always he hated guys who didn't wear wrestling gear. That was always a big no-no. My dad just couldn't stand Now, full disclosure, in my house, we were a WWE household, right? We grew up in the Northeast, so that was we were a WWE family. But we both, we watched WCW. We'd get the pay-per-views from time to time. When the Monday Night Wars happened, it was, you know, hit the flash button on the remote, just like every other household in America. But back then... This was just me being the Uber fan as a kid that just wanted all of the wrestling I could consume. And my dad picking and choosing like, ah, that guy stinks. That guy's not the ultimate warrior. That guy, I could kick his ass. 
And then I just kind of would choose my, my, you know, my favorites accordingly. I forgot we lived in a world where Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater were actually champions in a televised promotion. By the way, Graves, Booker T was Cole with a K and Stevie Ray was Kane with a K in Global Wrestling Okay, so it had to have been Global. I, yeah. I remember coming home from school at about 3 o'clock every afternoon and Global was on ESPN television. Yep. And I, I got to see the Patriot and the uh, the Lightning Kid who went on to have a pretty decent run. And for those uh, who don't, and for those who don't know, Global uh, Wrestling Federation (GWF) was Gary Hart's promotion in the early '90s in Dallas, which was the sort of uh, sequel to World Class Championship Wrestling at the Sportatorium, but it was somewhat short-lived. Yeah, it, it's it's really fun to see all the stars that came through those doors. Jerry Lynn, uh, Papa Shango, I remember seeing. I believe he was the Angel of Death still at that time. The old global wrestling had some some real gems to it. And it was great for me because as a, you know, elementary school age kid, I would come home, get off the bus, walk down and get a bowl of cereal, sit down on my couch and watch global every day during the week. It was amazing. I didn't have global graves. I would come home and I had USWA. So I saw like the Unabomber. Oh, okay. See, <laughs> U- Unabomb. Unabomb. That's not right. Unabomb. Yes, it was Al yeah. Snow and his tag partner, Unabomb, who we now know as the WWE the Hall of, of Famer and Mayor of Knoxville, Kane. Lots of, uh, lots of really interesting pasts for some superstars through those time periods. And I was more invested in this matchup between Parker and Sherry on the outside than I was actually interested in the match. Just the way these two are looking at each other and, you know, Colonel Rob took his handkerchief out and was fanning himself. Like, I thought that was hilarious. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Can we just point out, I'm not saying anything that no one, you know, we all know this, but Harlem Heat's entrance theme, top 10 all time. Just incredible. I know Booker still uses like a version of it. It's great. But Harlem Heat coming out to that classic theme, just A+. plus. Harlem Heat does have a great theme, though, because you always knew as soon as you're then you're like, oh, here they come. Let's go. And they always had great matches, too. I actually did enjoy this tag team match on Fall Brawl. It was the first time in this event that we watched that I actually found a good match. Because the first match, I was so distracted by everything. The second match was what it was. And then again, Max Muscle in the third match. This was the first time I was like, wow awesome championship match. And it may be just because of what we had seen before. Well, at least the tag team title match started the momentum for what would follow a match that was promoted as one. You never ever in a million billion years thought you would see Ric Flair versus his right hand man. The enforcer of the four horsemen, Arn Anderson, just watch it. Just go back and watch the match. It's two of the best to ever do it from bell to bell doing their thing. It's an incredible matchup. I can't do it any justice. I remember being blown away that it was happening, much like it was promoted, because to to that point in my career, I only knew Ric Flair as always having the horseman with him. And to have his guy, his right-hand man, 
on the opposing side of the ring to me was like, wow, we've got to see this. Uh, great match. Just go back and watch it. If for nothing else, if you fast forward through all of the nonsense and gaga, watch Flair and Anderson. It's amazing. It's incredible. Flying Brian makes an appearance. I'm not even going to spoil it for you. Just go watch the match if you haven't already. If you did watch it, there's nothing that we can say other than, uh, wow, it was awesome. It was as advertised. It lived up to the hype. And uh, now we know all these years later that even then, they were two of the best to ever do it, and that still rings true. So kudos to those guys. Another great Heenan call. Another great Heenan call near the end. He says, I bet the people at home are standing up right in front of the rented furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Heenan was on fire, like Graves oh said. Oh, my God. Beginning Start all to the finish. Through. They did a great job in this match too with the video package beforehand. Uh, they like went to the backstage with Gene and Arn, and then they went to a video package explaining the entire reason this match was happening. Because I think a lot of people who may have come into it were like, "Wait, why are Arn and Rick uh, in a in a heated rivalry here at this point?" And they explained it great. Uh, Hulk Hogan had come into the company, won the WCW Championship, and Rick was obsessed with getting it back, and he would go through anybody and anyone to try and get there. And really, that came at the expense of his relationship with Arn. So it, it was really well well done and a great intro to what ended up being a great match. Yeah, Mean Gene had an interview with Flair where he says, like, oh, do you hate the man? And Flair goes, no, the problem is I love him. Like, I thought that was such a cool thing where it's like, oh, it's not suddenly blood feud. They hate each other. He's like, I hate that I have to fight him. I hate that this is happening. Yeah. He goes yeah, back it, to Corey. It's cool to see said. those sort of in, the, 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 the emotions behind it. It actually, as you were explaining that, Dan, it, it made me think of more recently – uh, Edge and Randy Orton with Randy talking about, I have to do this to save Edge from himself. Th that sort of twisted logic where in their heart, they're doing the right thing. I love a villain with good motivation. I love it. It's my favorite thing, not only in sports entertainment, but in entertainment as a whole. I think Thanos is so compelling because you can't say that he was a bad guy. His heart was in the right place. Did he have some backwards ass ways of going about it? Perhaps oh, we're going to wipe half the planet out. Okay, I see why that's not necessarily a, a, an endearing quality, but he had his motivation and you go, ah, it creates reasonable doubt. I love that. That is my favorite sort of character in any aspect of entertainment is the villain that has an honest motivation. This match was absolute art, as you talked about earlier, from start to finish, from the selling to the punches. The live crowd ate it up. It was hands down the best match of the night. And that even, I mean, it was awesome. Well, you, you went from having actual art, Flair and Anderson being something of a Picasso, to a different form of art. Something more resembling giving a child a can of spray paint. Uh, we've got war games up next. Team Hogan, the Hulkster himself, the Macho Man, Lex Luger, and the Stinger who I am only a 70% fan of at this particular juncture in life versus Vic's favorite stable faction of all time, the Dungeon of Doom. I would like to do a Dungeon of Doom episode at some point because, man, some of the garbage that came out of that, which is crazy because think of the talent that was in the Dungeon of Doom. As a whole, from start to finish, from its inception to when it was finally dissolved, Think of the guys who actually were in the Dungeon of Doom. You, you know, Brutus Beefcake, Ed Leslie, whatever you want to call him, with 26 different gimmicks. At this point, he was the Zodiac. Uh, Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Yeah, 
Earthquake, as we knew him in WWE, goes to WCW and becomes a shark. And he's going to fight uh, all the Hulkamaniacs. The shark. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not a shark. He is he's the, the shark. shark. You're right. Yes. <laughs> We've got Ming, universally renowned as arguably the toughest guy who's ever been in the business. Uh, Kevin Sullivan. I have the full list in front of me, and it's larger oh. than I remember. Well, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> these are from, from the best of my recollection. Who else do we have? Who am Here's I missing? Here's the full list. The Master, the Taskmaster, Kamala, Lex Luger, the Yeti, Jimmy Hart, the Shark, Big Van Vader, the Zodiac, Ming, the Giant, Hugh Morris, the Barbarian, Conan, Max, Max Muscle, Big Bubba, Braun the Leprechaun, One Man Gang, Z Gangsta, The Ultimate Solution, Loch Ness, and Jacqueline. Jackie was in the Dungeon of Doom? Apparently, 1997. My goodness. But think That's of that. You idiot. you listed off some really, truly heavy hitters, particularly from my childhood. Think of the Hogan era, WWE, Hulkamania. Every enemy Hogan ever had in WWE basically came to WCW and formed the Dungeon of Doom. On paper, great idea. But my God, it was the hokiest thing of all time. In 1995, though, you sat and you couldn't take your eyes off it. And let's not forget this. No, no, no. I disagree, Vic. I I love it. Because even as a fan. You did not. You were the one calling Sting on a fake hotline to talk to him. You didn't buy into the Dungeon of Doom. That was several years prior. And yes, Sting. Ah, Bull. Sting not answering. Okay. So, honestly, I think that on a human being level did something to me. When I, you know, people go, oh, I, I realized it was just entertainment or oh there was that moment never meet your heroes i didn't meet my hero i listened to a recording of him that i paid money for and that was when i went oh well maybe this isn't what i thought it was and it really really threw me for a loop and i i think i held a bit of a grudge against wcw as a whole for many moons which also and i keep referencing my dad but this is what we did as as i was growing up my dad and i watched wrestling that was what we bonded over to this day that's what we bond over and talk about is wrestling so my dad had a lot of opinions that I think I absorbed by osmosis, like hating guys who didn't wear actual wrestling gear. And my dad loved the big boss, man. My dad loved Kamala, not in WCW, not in the Dungeon of Doom. So I just, by, def- I, by default, I just didn't have time for any of these guys. I liked Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Brutus was one of my guys. And now he's in WCW wearing zebra face paint going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, to the pleasure and delight of <laughs> nobody. The Dungeon of Doom was so bad it was cool looking no, back on no, it. No, no, oh, no. I'm now, a big fan of Dungeon of Doom. Okay, so if we're going on a nostalgia hole, I would absolutely wear a Dungeon of Doom t-shirt today. Yes. Purely for the ironic value. It doesn't mean it's cool. It wasn't good. It's one of those but things we look back upon fondly it. because it's funny to make fun of and it's entertaining for all the wrong reasons and it still has stood the test of time for none of the reasons intended. That's it's the best also part. the era where we're still pretending like uh, Big Show or Giant is uh, Andre's son. Because after yes. over Hogan's motorcycle with a monster truck, they do an interview with Hogan, and he says, quote, I felt his aura, his presence. I felt Andre right there in my face. I mean, what about the monster truck on the roof? I mean, they had so much bad stuff, it was great looking back. Well, Dan, that wasn't the only ludicrous statement to slip past the Hulkster's lips, particularly in this event uh, Alex, I believe you, you've provided me with the quote from one Hulk Hogan during the pre-match interview. 
Gentlemen, tonight at yeah, War man. Games, the Hulkamaniacs versus the Dungeon of Doom. And Hulk, Finally. as captain of the team, I've got to liken this to the invasion of Normandy in 1945. Well, you know, you can liken it to whatever you want, big dude. But right now, my War Games, my teams are together, brother. And we just drank a couple gallons of Agent Orange, brother. So we're impervious to pain, man. And when the Stingers aerial assault, the power of Luger breaking them in half. And the Macho Man coming from all different ways, brother. What are they going to do when the team of maniacs declares war in just a couple minutes, brother? Here you have everybody's hero, the hero of a generation, basically Superman, saying, you know why we're going to win this fight, guys? We just drank Agent Orange, gallons of it, which, newsflash, Hulkster, that will kill you. That will kill hey, he said everyone. He to pain. Oh yeah. Hey, do you know Hogan what was really immortal, hard? Graves? The yeah, immortal yeah. Hulk Hogan. Okay, Give me all fine. the Agent Orange, brother. But you can't just go out there and, and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm ready for this battle. I drank Agent Orange because it makes me impervious to pain." Do you know why you don't feel pain, Hulk? Because you're dead. Okay, you ceased to breathe and exist because Agent Orange will kill you. So. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, it was a lot. It was ridiculous. Uh, and then Heenan later on would sort of double down on Hogan's ridiculousness when there was a fistful of mysterious powder thrown into the face of a competitor. Heenan declared it smelled like napalm or gunpowder. I know we're really leaning into the military theme of this pay-per-view. Uh, Bobby might've, uh, might've been drinking a little bit of the same, uh, agent orange spiked Kool-Aid that the Hulkster was. I loved the pre-match promo because it never seemed like it was going to end. Like they walked off like it was over and then all of a sudden Sting would run back in and have like two lines. Then Savage would run back in. It was like, it was just absolute chaos. And then I think Dan, you and I actually talked about this off air. Hogan gives away the finish in the promo. Did anyone catch this? He goes, yeah. and if I win, if I win, I'm going to get five minutes with the Taskmaster. And then they come out to the ring announcer. Breaking Michael news. Buffer. Michael Buffer goes, if... Hulk Hogan's team wins. He's going to get five minutes alone with the Taskmaster. But Hogan just said it in the promo. Like, yeah. it was just so You, you knew what was happening. Yeah, yeah it was point. so wild. I was like, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Rewind. Hogan also uses a, a DTA, Don't Trust Anybody, 1995. He says that in the promo. Oh, DTA, what about the training footage? Don't ever oh, trust nobody. That was my favorite. Mm -hmm. it? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Lex Luger pulls out a rifle and is aiming it at things. And they're like, what the hell? It was awesome. It, it, it was, they really leaned into it and you, I admire the, the dedication. Uh, but some, some things, you know, this was, this was the cartoon stuff. This is the sort of stuff that nowadays we look back upon as fun, as entertaining. It's nostalgia, but nowadays it just it doesn't work. It doesn't hold up. It, it does not feel important nowadays. It feels less than and hokey. I mean, it felt hokey two, three years later. I mean, once we started sure. moving towards DX and Austin and everything, like they were done with the gimmicks like that. And even the backstage interview with me and Gene, and he goes, all right, pull up your socks. It's main event time. I was like, what the, the hell are you talking about? Pull up your socks. Like it was so unbelievable. That was my absolute favorite part was the pre-match promo before the main event. That's the, my biggest thing from Fall Brawl 95. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. 
It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. I want to take it around the circle. Uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you. After reliving and revisiting Fall Brawl 95, what are your biggest takeaways? Uh, Definitely Flair Anderson. You know, a lot of that history was before my time, and I started watching in the early 90s. So, like, you know, the, the, the days of Jim Crockett and the Four Horsemen and everything, like, I didn't know that history. So it it felt cool to kind of get caught into the middle of it, you know? Like, when I was a kid watching this stuff, and you'd always hear – the four horsemen talked about with such reverence. It was interesting to see like this chapter of like kind of the post horseman breakup type thing. So I think that match was definitely my favorite. What about you, Alex? This is such a weird one for me because I think a lot of people when are asked about, Hey, when you think of WCW, what do you, what comes to mind? So many people will say nitro or, or NWO or the wolf pack, or even something as like ridiculous as like the hog wild pay-per-views from Sturgis. But for me, when people ask me about WCW, this era is what I think of because this was when I was, became such a huge fan of WCW. I think of the blue ring with the, uh, the target logo in the middle. And I think of the, ridiculous stuff that Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom were doing. Uh, I think about, you know, just looking back at those, even that early early um, promo video from right before the War Games match where Kevin Sullivan is like maniacally laughing in the ring and like pulling pedals off of posies and things like that. Hogan! 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 Do you realize you are going into the most dangerous match of all times. Walking two steel cages. The Dungeon of Doom against the Hulkamaniacs. That's the stuff that I remember of WCW. And you're right. Back then and even now, it was so terrible. But I can look back and watch that now and think about what it made me feel when I was a kid watching it. And that's what I loved so much about this event because there was so much of that encapsulated into three hours. And and I just, I thought it was great. It was terrible, but it was great. It took me back in time. I was huge WWE. My friends were WCW even as kids before the whole Nitro Monday Night Wars um, this took me back to some of the WCW matches I think fondly of for the wrong reasons. I also think of the Doomsday Cage match where Hogan and Savage had to take on like 55 other people and climb down cages full, full through disclosure, this Full disclosure, when we got this assignment, I thought that was the show we were going to watch. <laughs> I, I fully expected to see that match. Uh, and, and then I realized it was just the standard war games. And it just was, it, it's so cool to go back and I, I, we all have a laugh, but Dungeon of Doom is what I remember from WCW. And I remember Hogan going over, but at the time I don't recall going, oh, that's Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who's the Zodiac, or that's Earthquake, who's Shark. Like it didn't register in my mind like it started to do during the Monday Night Wars of, wait a minute, that's Razor Ramon. Wait a minute, that's Diesel, things like that. So it was cool to go back in time and then just to see all the, the mishaps and skips and maybe Graves is just because you and I have sat on Raw, we've sat on pay-per-views and WrestleMania that we have been so used to high production values that a cameraman being on the ring apron on a wide shot, you're like, 
the hell is this guy doing here? Are these right. long, drawn-out on cameras? Or these the fact that at the end when the Taskmaster is being pushed back, Ming just walks right by him? And it's kind of like, well, if that was your dude, why wouldn't he help you out? It just was those little things that made me laugh watching this. Well, it's nice to know that Vic Joseph, a young Vic Joseph, was the one person on Earth who didn't realize that the shark was Earthquake because clearly those painted teeth on John Tenta's cheeks really threw you for <laughs> Brother, a Brother, I was like six years old. I was like, I had no clue. And it was just like, looking back, it's funny. Like, how stupid was I not to realize that was freaking Earthquake, who I think a year before main invented a SummerSlam against Hulk Hogan uh, for the WWE Championship. And it just was, it was cool. I liked it. It was fun. Just two quick notes on like the production stuff that you were talking about, Vic. Uh, two things really stood out to me on this show. One, when the cage was lowering for war games, the amount of pyro that was going off and then the commentators going, it's the sounds of war as you hear like, and all the explosions. Sounds like the beginning of Metallica's one. Yeah, exactly. It was so ridiculous. And then the other thing too, that really this to me is like peak WCW, like tropes that I just loved so much. And I wish was there was more of today is like, at the end of the Harlem Heat Bunkhouse Buck Dick Slater match, uh, after all the ridiculousness between Colonel Parker and Sherry, they all walk up the up the uh, aisle, and then there's Mean Gene at the top to interview them about what just happened. And Colonel Parker's like wiping all of the lipstick off of his face and still fanning himself, going, "I need to have that woman." Like it was just so ridiculous. Just but that's what. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But but like that stuff is what I loved about WCW and sports entertainment in this era. And I agree. I think in hindsight, having just, you know, rewatched this the same as you guys, it was such a cool point in time to realize once if you can look at it for what it is and then put it in context out of context. This is not a good show. This is not a fun pay-per-view. There aren't any particularly great matches, save for Flair and Anderson, which is of course, going to be good. The rest of the card was not great. The characters weren't spectacular. But when you look at what this was, this was truly a pivotal point in our business. And you can now, knowing what the business has evolved and grown into now, here we are in 2021, to go back and look at this and see how cartoonish and downright hokey it was at times. And now, yes, it's fun to go back and look at and listen to from a, for a nostalgia standpoint. Heck, even young guys might look, and you can pick and choose different characteristics. There's definitely some good to dig through. You have to sift a lot. A lot of it wasn't good, but it's crazy to think that this was just a few weeks after Monday Nitro launched, and then the Monday Night Wars happen, and then the WWE Attitude Era happens as a reaction to Nitro, where we're getting rid of the gimmicks. We're getting rid of the silly characters. We're getting into the reality of things. This was almost, it could be considered one of the final old school WCW pay-per-views before yeah. everything kind of changed because once Nitro changed WCW fundamentally changed. It became about shock and surprise and action and really the whole theory behind what was WCW, what it was supposed to look like changed almost immediately after or in the wake of this pay-per-view. And then the dominoes fell and eventually the whole business changed. So this is kind of a really weird snapshot of where sports entertainment as a whole was in 1995. That's actually, I'm thinking as you're talking, blowing my mind, like, man, TL Hopper. Right. You know, all these WWE gimmicky type WCW thing, like Mantar, Mad Mountain Rock, like that all comes to an end real quick. 
Right, because people started realizing this isn't what we want anymore. The audience tastes are changing. They want reality. They want surprise. They want shock. They want legitimacy. And, and, and yeah, there's still a place for the, the silliness and the cartoon aspects of sports entertainment. I'm one of these guys. I don't take this stuff too seriously. It's fun. We're the circus, man. There's something for everybody. I love a, a ridiculous story as much as I love a really great intense story. But the whole business has changed so drastically. Again, if you've listened to this, listened to us yammer and rant and rave, and you still haven't watched it, pull it up on Peacock, Fall Brawl 1995. It's worth a watch. It's worth sitting down, having a couple beers with your buddies, and laughing and enjoying and going, man, how times have changed. But every once in a while, it's nice to, to, to have a callback to appreciate how drastically things have changed. 100%. Can't say it any better than that. Well, on that note, I'm still comfortable. I'm getting a little warm. This robe on top of the satin is a little more than I need to do regularly. I'm trying to figure it out, Vic, but I'm sticking to my guns, man. This is two weeks now. I've been rocking satin pajamas basically nonstop. Shoes? Um, what do you do? You doing slippers? I got Ugg slippers on my feet, bro. I can't argue with Ugg slippers. I'm actually I told wearing Ugg slippers as well. If, if someone can bring me a pumpkin spice latte, kid, we'll be in business. I'll watch Fall Brawl 94, 96, 97. I'll watch the whole thing. Back in the day, I used to have a nice pumpkin spice latte ready for you in the hallways of the hotels. Let's not forget. You I miss those days, man. You sure did. I miss those days, too. I do not miss Fall Brawl 1995. <laughs> Thank you to Alex and Dan for joining the show and weighing in and lending your expertise to Vic's nonsense as well as mine. If you're not already, make sure you follow us at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find him at Vic Joseph WWE. Listen for free on Spotify. Just search after the bell. Hit the follow button and never miss an episode. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, less renegade, and more WWE after the bell. <laughs>